Whether it's an alternate reality, distinct publishing line, or relaunch, The Man of Steel continues to be reconceived from his origin to his final fate. Over this four-part event, we will journey from the Dark Knight universe to Earth-1, from the New 52 continuity to the Elseworld of Red Sun, as we explore whether the core of the character endures. This is Superman Reimagined. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Superman of Frank Miller's Dark Knight universe, including Superman Year One, is returning guest, Dr. Bill Mayo. Welcome. Always happy to be here, Anthony. I appreciate you joining me. Listeners will likely recall that you were on an episode not too long ago. We looked at Superman as depicted as a government stooge in DC The New Frontier, as well as Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Strikes Again. And that basically inspired this episode, because I thought it would be interesting to take a a larger, more expansive look at Frank Miller's treatment of Superman across all of his works. So we did talk about Returns and Strikes Again. I know we'll touch on it here here and there, I'm sure. But if anyone wants the the full discussion on that, I encourage them to check out the other episode. For this one... Again, I think we'll largely be focusing on Superman Year One and Dark Knight, The Master Race. Sounds good. Yes. So, a lot to unpack here. Let me begin by tossing this to you. Sure. And just asking, big picture, this, this reading project that we, we took on here, what, what was your, your overall experience with it? Well, with regards to Superman Year One, um, I feel like uh, with, with regards to like a Year One story, in general, right? Not only Superman, but Batman, Wonder Woman, all the ones they've done, Batgirl. I feel like we've largely, we, we largely know what the origin story should be. And uh, I feel like in this regard, he took it in his own direction and uh, kind of brought a lot of things to bear that I didn't think were uh, characteristic of Superman. And so maybe we could talk about that. I was not a fan of this one. I like a lot of the year one storytelling, uh, you know, the one shots or the, the miniseries, I should say. Um, but this one didn't really grab me. Um, as far as Dark Knight, the Master Race, uh, I mentioned it on your Facebook page. I really enjoyed this one. Um, and it was surprising to me after reading the Dark Knight Strikes Again, because that was just such a, in my mind, just such a horrible uh, story. <laughs> but from the art and the, and the storytelling, this one, I feel like he really tied it all together and he redeemed himself. The story was, was really great, came full circle. Uh, and so I think we'll have a, a couple of things to talk about for sure. Um, how about you? What are you, what are your feelings on these two? Well, let me start with Superman year one. I'm coming in hot on this one. Okay. So we're, what are we 70 episodes or so into this podcast series? And I don't think I've ever come into another episode angry about what I've read. (laughs) I I always go into the reading assignments or viewing assignments and then the, the subsequent episodes with an open mind and, trying to understand what the intent of the creators was, trying to understand, you know, why an audience might might find something of value. So that's my general approach. And look, sure. are there things that I've read or watched that I haven't liked? Absolutely. We covered Bendis Superman. Didn't care for it. Wasn't my thing. But at the end of the day, I think that Bendis had good intentions. I think that he ultimately treated the character fine. I just didn't agree with the choices that he made. But no big deal. I wasn't angry about it. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, man, I read Superman Year One, and like I never curse on any of these shows for a variety of reasons. But every now and then, it's warranted. So, with yeah. respect to Superman Year One, you know, earmuffs, kids. I was done with that. I was like, "What the fuck was that?" It was fucking horrible. 
It was so bad. You know, it, Superman's origin is something that I think we all can write from the top of our heads. It's something that writes itself. I mean, we've heard it a million times. Last Son of Krypton comes to Earth. There's the Ma Pa Kent. You know, there's a certain, you know, progression of things. Um, he decided to do a couple of things here. He brought it into the modern age. Instead of the 1940s kind of breadbasket of America, it was modern times. I mean, there were cell phones, there was car alarms, there was all sorts of things, right? So you immediately knew that you weren't dealing with the typical origin story. But then beyond that, I feel like he added some things that were so ridiculous. So as an example, Superman becoming a Navy SEAL. Um, the one thing that that origin story was always missing, you know, all yeah, the times always, that I've, I've read it or I've watched, I've always thought to myself, you know, you know, he'd be a good Navy SEAL. Yeah, we need a military detour. That's really the missing piece here. <laughs> and, you know, and if he used it as an excuse for him to meet Lori uh, down in uh, Atlantis, is, is a silly thing to do. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so I really couldn't understand where that came from. Um, I think if it was, again, if it was set in the 1940s, it might be a little bit more credible. You had like the World War II going on. Everybody was joined. I mean, even Elvis joined the uh, the war effort, right? So Superman joining the war effort wouldn't be so out of place. But again, it would be weird for Superman knowing what we know about his character. But in this story, in the modern times, it just seemed ridiculous. And then he also seemed oddly complacent with some strange things as a Navy SEAL. Like when they went on that mission to like, let's just knock him in the head or whatever, like one tap to the head. He's going to be like, oh, we're going to kill people now as Superman? <laughs> Very strange, right? I couldn't believe I was reading it, to, to be honest with you. Yeah, so like I said, a lot to unpack here. I, I will, just real quick, I did enjoy the Master Race, but you know, that's an instance where Miller wrote it with Brian Azzarello and I kind of put wrote in quotes because I suspect it was more a matter of Miller kind of giving some general ideas and then Azzarello fully scripting it. That, sure. That's my understanding of it. And that's the way it reads because it's coherent. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. Com compared to the one that preceded it, that was completely incoherent. Um, yeah. yeah. And you had Andy Kubert on art and of course, John Romita Jr. drawing uh, year one. Uh, but I, I did enjoy Master Race. I did think that offered a measure of redemption to the Dark Knight saga. And, you know, we'll talk about it. But uh, again, I guess given Miller's reduced role, um, I, and not to be overly difficult about this, but I'm, I'm reluctant to give too much credit here because I really feel like when you look at all of these recent works of his, it's like Master Race really does stand out and is the strongest, but it's the one that I think he had the least involvement with. Right. Yeah, he probably was part of the the discussion of the scripting. Um, he definitely did the one shots. I think were all his uh, his artwork too. But uh, the fact that it you can read it and you were excited to read the next issue, it it really speaks volumes to the fact that he probably didn't have a lot of the day to day activity to write that story and writing that one. Yeah. So what what I read, I guess the way that I read it or the sequence that I went in was I basically I didn't read in terms of publication history. I read chronologically in terms of the Frank Miller universe. Now, I guess it's somewhat of an open question whether or not the Superman of Superman Year One and the Superman of All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder and the Superman of Dark Knight Returns, Strikes Again, and Master Race are really all the same Superman. Yeah. I In my mind, though, that was sort of one of the experiments for myself. I was like, well, can you can you kind of look at them as the same character, at least in a spiritual sense, if not a strict continuity sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read, I started with year one, and then I read, I did not reread all of All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, but I did reread issue number five, which was the one yep. that featured Superman 
the most. Uh, again, you and I had just read and talked about Dark Knight Returns or Dark Knight Strikes Again, so I just sort of skimmed through those, and I did reread the Superman scenes, but I did not mm-hmm. do a full dive into those. And then, of course, I read Master Race, and I did read the <laughs> the Golden Child one-shot uh, that, that Frank Miller wrote. Beautiful art, uh, but the story was, it was, that was really rough. I don't have much to say about it, and certainly nothing nothing really good. I was telling Would you, you off mic. Yeah. I don't have the name offhand. The last name no, is uh, it's an international artist, I believe. Okay. Uh, Grandpa, something something like that. Okay. Uh, Raphael. Look into it. Yeah. yeah. But beautiful art. Uh, but in any event, so that was that was a sequence that I that I went in here. And I guess for myself and, and for us to sort of try to answer <laughs> for the course of, of of this podcast here, I guess one question is, can we look at at the Superman in all of these stories as the same Superman? I guess that's sort of one question. Another is one thing that a lot of critics will sort of, you know, charge Miller with is, is hating Superman. You know, I don't know if you've come across this argument, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've seen it, whether it's on social media or in articles, to say, did like Frank Miller hates Superman, and it shows in the way that the character is treated. And so that's sort of another question, I guess, to sort of address whether or not we see that in this work. Uh, and then I guess the final question is if we are looking at at the Superman as the same Superman across all of Miller's work, is there any, and the answer might be no, but is there any any consistency, any narrative or thematic through line that we can kind of look at the Superman of year one through the Superman of, of Master Race and be like, yeah, I can kind of see what the overall vision of, of the character is. Anyway, those are some of the, I guess, yeah. big picture questions that I had in my mind that we can maybe get to as we go along here. I certainly think it's very interesting as, a, as something to think about. Um, I, I will comment on, I think that Miller definitely has, with regards to Superman, has some storytelling elements that he really loves to visit and revisit. And it seems like the Bottle City of Candor is a consistent theme in all these stories. And so I don't know if it was something that he really gravitated towards when he was a kid reading these stories in the 60s growing up, uh, that he just really loved that idea. And then he brings it up in all the works, or he just knows that that's a significant enough motivating factor for the character that it's always kind of put in there. He also uses some very strange um, DC characters. I mean, you know, you have the big ones like Wonder Woman and Batman, but, you know, Plastic Man is a very interesting kind of you know, insert. And he's been in a lot of the Frank Miller stories involving Superman, which I always think is very strange. Like Plastic Man is not the Justice League member I think about when I think of the Justice League, you know, and he's got the Adam in a lot of them too. So again, I think it's probably stories that he really loved as a kid and he's bringing those characters into the Superman world. Uh, Whether or not it's the same Superman, I would say that there's definitely a consistency there. I think it is the same Superman. Um, And maybe it's because he hates the character. I don't know. Maybe that's something that we can explore. Um, But he certainly speaks down to him through the characters, right? So he has like, you know, Batman calling him names like, like, you know, wake up uh, Kansas or whatever he calls him that time, you know, and things like that. And Wonder Woman, I really think in the all-star Batman and Robin really gave it to Superman. And so there seems to be like other writers and artists might hold Superman in, in high esteem and high regard. Frank Miller, it seems like maybe it's just because of the grittiness of the way he writes or the way he approaches the characters. It does seem that he treats Superman a little bit of a second-class citizen. Um, yeah, well said. I mean, it's I'm reluctant to really come down hard on the side of yeah, Frank Miller hates Superman. In the end, I, I don't 
I don't think that's necessarily fair or accurate. But at the same time, I don't think Superman gets treated well in these works. Yeah. Now, in fairness, and we talked about this when we did our other episode, in Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Strikes Again, or and well, Returns in particular, I mean, there, Superman is playing the adversarial role. I mean, this is Batman's mm-hmm. story and Superman's functioning as an antagonist. And maybe that, you know, some of the ways that Superman is portrayed that, that deviate from what I or you or other Superman fans might look for in, in a story. Yeah. You know, we can account for it by virtue of the fact that this is through Batman's perspective and Superman is positioned in opposition to the, the protagonist of the story. And and Dark Knight Strikes Again, you know, I think continues that to an extent. You definitely see more redemption for Superman in Master Race, mm-hmm. which, which I was happy to see. And overall, I mean, for all the problems that I had about uh, Superman Year One, it, Superman's still not the punching bag that he is mm-hmm. for Miller's characters the way he is in the other stories. So... Again, I don't know that it's a matter of hating the character. At the same time, I, I don't like his handle on the character. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that, maybe that's what I really mean to say. But in, in any event, go, going back to, to Superman Year One in particular. So this came out a few years ago. This is under DC's Black Label line. And just as a side note, I'm going to sound like such an old man here. But I think, did you read it digitally? I did. Okay. I have the first issue. I had bought that. So, uh, but I just re- I read it all on the computer. What is your take on the the dimensions the format? It's yeah. a larger book, right? It's the magazine type size. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't think much of it. I thought it was just as as a bid to charge eight dollars, whatever it was at the, at the time, just make it a little bit bigger, and they could justify the price. Um, I know. I don't know. I don't know. What did you think? It didn't. I mean, it's not like the artwork lends itself to like a bigger format or anything. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I've not really spoken to people about whether or not they like this black label format. And DC doesn't use it for every single black label book, but they but they do for some. And I mean, on the one hand, I like the idea that, you know, you can really enjoy the art on, on a larger scale. But maybe this is just the, the OCD collector in me. It's just like, how do you store this? It doesn't fit in your box. <laughs> uh, but in any event, I avoided this. Until now. So it's been out for, I don't know, two or three years. I did not read it as it was coming out. I read about it. I saw people's reactions to it online, but I didn't read it myself. I don't own it. I read it for this on the DC app. I read it digitally. Uh, and I went into this, again, like I always do, like with an open mind. And I, I, I guess the where my optimism lied was in the hope that reading the Superman of year one, that that would kind of bring the rest of the Miller verse Superman like into focus. And then I could look at returns and strikes again and these other stories and be like, Oh, like I get now it all makes sense. If I see right. where he's coming from. And I agree with you. The, the Navy enlistment was probably the oddest choice and detour in this. And part of me is like, well, was that to help account for how he can become this government stooge mm-hmm. in dark Knight returns? The fact that, he had this military experience and was used to taking orders, although he's discharged, right? He doesn't he doesn't right. proceed in the military. Discharged in a very strange manner because he, you know, rushed a grenade. Like it's it's, it's like a very strange situation, but it is what it is. Um, he, we all know he doesn't belong there. Yeah, or we know he doesn't end up there. It's just a very strange thing that he was there, um, and to bring that into the character, something that was completely out of Miller's mind, as far as I know. I mean. Like the character Lori, I think she's well precedented in the 1960s Silver Age, um, and all the other characters were. But this part of the story was just he thought it was a really interesting way to take the character, and I just doesn't I I don't understand the motivation. Um, 
nor do I, and and where where my anger comes in. And look, here's the thing: there are far worse and bigger problems in the world right now than me being annoyed yeah. about this comic. I recognize that, <laughs> but sure. I guess the reason why this one like really rubbed me the wrong way is there's sacred is probably too strong a word, but there's something something special and sacred about the Superman origin story. And it's funny because I was reading articles about year one and, and at least one of the articles was like, oh, Superman's origin has been told so many times. And I don't know that I really agree with that. And especially having studied and discussed the tellings of the origin on this podcast not too long ago, when you consider an 80 plus year history, it hasn't been told in comics so, so many times. And Mm -hmm. especially in the modern era, when it has been told, I would argue And in almost every instance, there's been a reason for it. There's been a justification. There's been something new to say about the character. I mean, Burns' Man of Steel, of course, is a clear example. That was a full, you know, reset and and reintroducing the character. But something like my favorite, Superman Birthright, you know, that explored the decision to become Superman and to explore his origins in a way we hadn't Mm -hmm. seen before. Something like For All Seasons or American Alien, those weren't mired in continuity. Those were more emotional origin stories to kind of paint a picture of who this guy was at this time in his life. Um, You know, the one that I've probably been hardest on before now is Superman's Secret Origin by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. And the reason why, or one of the reasons I've always kind of been tough on that one is I don't really feel like that was necessary. It came just a couple of years after uh, Superman Birthright. And I felt like that was Jeff Johns, you know, wanting to bring back Superboy and inject a lot of the Donner movies into the comics. And I, for me, I was like, I don't know that that's really worthy justification for this but at least the story was coherent and readable (laughs) and again even though i disagreed with some of the choices made in secret origin like i got i got why that would be of interest you know for for the creators and for the audience but i look at at superman year one and i just feel like a lot of what it had to say about superman especially in the first issue and the third i guess i didn't feel like it put that new or different a spin on what we've already seen before and the major departures that it did make, i.e. the the, the Navy episode and the, yep. the extended time in Atlantis were real head scratchers. Yeah. And so I just feel like, and from DC's perspective, it's like, I get it. If this guy says he wants to do a Superman origin story, of course they're going to publish it. And I'm sure they yeah. gave him carte blanche. I, I can't imagine there was much editing involved. I, I you know, I don't know, but Only I story I doubt it. No editing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like from DC's perspective, it's like, I, I get it, but I also feel like you need to be more protective of your well, most iconic a char- like character. A, fla- a flagship character like Superman with, like you said, you know, people who know the origin inside and out, you know, why, why do you take such liberties as even if you're Frank Miller? I mean, it's very strange to think that um, you can change such a dramatic in such a dramatic way. I mean, maybe his proposal was it's going to be a modern retelling of the Superman story. And it, and it was in, the, in a sense. But then again, it doesn't fit. There were things about that story that don't fit in the modern times. Like there's like, you know, when he's lying in bed at night and he hears the heart car alarms, he's like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't focus or can't sleep. I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. But then him going to Metropolis and getting a hat because he needs a disguise doesn't fit in like the year 2000, you know? <laughs> and so it, you can't have it both ways. And I think he tried. He tried so much to like put this in uh, modern touches to it, but it didn't. It fell short. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, so it's a three issue miniseries. Um, each issue is about 70 pages or so. Mm-hmm. I found it to be uh, exceedingly overly narrated. And maybe this was... Me- where, yeah. 
early on, I was having trouble figuring out who the narrator was. Thank you. That was what I was going to bring up next. I'm okay. glad I'm not alone because I'm reading this. I'm like, am I an idiot? Like, am I missing something here? So most of the, the issues are narrated by this omniscient third person narrator. And, yeah. the, and the narrator talks about Clark and the other characters. But every now and then we slip into this first person narration from Clark. And there's nothing in terms of the color of the of the caption boxes or anything like yeah, that to yeah, yeah. really clue you in on this. It drove me yeah. nuts. Yeah, this is my uh, list of General Miller gripes with the Superman universe. And number one is the multiple narration uh, in his story. So it's not only in this one, but in some of the other ones as well, he does the different color boxes. But I really feel like it's a very jarring thing as a reader to be, you know, in Batman's mind. And then two seconds later, you're in Superman's mind, you're in Carrie's mind, you're in all these people's mind. It's just very strange. It's, uh, it's hard to follow. Um, and in year one, it was immediately from this first page. It was like, I don't know who saw it. Is it Zorel? Somebody's talking. Uh, couldn't figure it out, you know? Um, exactly. Because it references mother and father. Yeah. Right. Because we begin with the destruction of Krypton. And so you think, okay, we're getting Kal-El's narration, but then it yeah. references the child. So I, I will say uh, in the, those opening pages, you get to see Krypton's destruction and Kal-El's departure from the baby's mm -hmm. first person perspective. I thought that was yeah. cool, but at the same time, yeah. I go back to Superman Batman by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. I don't know if you remember the opening of no. uh, of the first issue of that, but it basically does a similar type of thing as as Batman and Superman each sort of recount their origin stories for the audience, and it's from that same type of perspective. So, sure. so again, I think even some of the things here that might have seemed innovative eh, have been done before. They're borrowed. Yeah. Yeah. So we begin again with the, and you know, we don't have to go beat beat for beat through this whole thing, but you know, we have the departure from Krypton, the arrival in Smallville, uh, found by okay, Pa Okay, let's Kent. talk about that. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a little, little big compared to the other <laughs> sellings of the stories, right? I mean, this kid is walking out of the spaceship, and so that's a, a, a huge departure, I felt. And then when he encounters Pa Kent, I mean, was there like a telepathic thing? He's like, I'm going to convince him that this is his idea to pick me up and bring me home? It's very strange. Um, yeah, and, and it's so like- I didn't get that. Why? See, like, this is one of the things, why? It was such a wholesome thing. Bring him home to the, you know, raise the kid. And now we have, like, Superman. It's, like, manipulating Puck. <laughs> That's the thing. So w now we have an instance of something that I think is a first. And it's just like, why? Why would you want to, <laughs> like, ruin the sanctity of the yeah. choice that the Kents make to take him home? And, and, yeah, in this instance, it's just Pa who then brings the kid into the house. I Did you notice how Jonathan and Martha and even Clark, to an extent, were really written as... A country folk mm -hmm. like P Jonathan comes in he's like I found me something in the field yeah and yeah, yeah. Martha's fixing pies and she's reading the bible like they really played up the the country folk aspect of the characters yeah which you know is not really my the way I see the characters but I guess maybe is more true to life I don't know it, it's not necessary I don't think it doesn't it didn't add anything to it in any event, so, you know, we go through then, I think, a lot of the, the traditional beats of Clark's powers developing and, and mm -hmm. you know, Jonathan and Martha trying to figure out what to do with him. You know, you mentioned the difficulty sleeping and, and you know, with the senses yeah. taking everything in and, you know, sure. Uh, and then I guess where we spend the bulk of the first issue is, is that Smallville High? Yeah, they first of all, they look like fifth graders, but then they're in high school <laughs> and they have gigantic heads for their little bodies. This is John Romita <laughs> Jr. Yeah. This is his fault. Um it was a very strange crowd that Superman winds up with. The um, misfits, I thought. the weirdos. The misfit, like, I mean, there's like this goth kid who winds up ratting out Superman later on to his friends. It's just very strange 
take on it. And then there's this whole bullying thing. I guess maybe is a is is somewhat somewhat of a theme. I think the, the bullying aspect is being brought up in a couple of of the works with Superman. But uh, yeah, bullied and then maybe not knowing how to deal with the bullies is is a huge part of what he does as a kid growing up. And and I don't know if that's treated in other stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, not not certainly not to that extent. I mean, it's it, you know we say bullying. I mean, it is bullying, but it's it's very severe. I mean, yeah, this, these are really rough kids in the middle of the country here. Yeah, I mean, they're really like beating the crap out of out of these so-called misfits and and peeing yeah. in their canteens and flooding their lockers and and again, that's the least of it. I mean, it's really like they're physically, you know, terrorizing these kids. Uh, so, I mean, as far as positioning Clark in this in this setting where he has to decide how to deal with this, you know, that was interesting enough, I suppose. It was funny, though, because there was one scene where Clark is sort of addressing his little band of, again, they call themselves, you know, they're referred to as the weirdos in the yeah. story. And he's giving advice. Do you remember this? He's giving advice on how to avoid a beating, essentially. And, yeah. and I'm paraphrasing, but it was like tell jokes like if your jokes are funny enough like everyone will be laughing and they won't be hitting you it's like what the hell kind of advice part. is this yeah Ter- seems like a terrible advice his, <laughs> his father gave him some sound advice i thought about like try to talk to him and then you know toss him or lay him flat or whatever he says that um, was i think that was probably the most like, resonant moment of the whole probably all three issues for me was yeah to your point you know there's the the kent family dinner and they're talking about what to do and and ma's just like no violence at all and then clark and then pa goes into his room later on and he's like, look, like your mother's a wonderful woman. She's not right about everything. And he's like, look, you know, you shouldn't abuse. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, you shouldn't abuse your powers. And sometimes you might get taken advantage of, but you know, you're no one's doormat either. Yeah. And you know, you're going to change the world and change it for the better. So that I, you know, I appreciated that there was <laughs> that yeah. rang true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess it's not long after that, that Clark saved Lana from an attempted gang rape. rape. Yeah. Which is again, very strange for a Superman comic. Um, and and you wonder about her mindset in that moment. So she, you know, almost raped. She's thrown to the floor. Then she sees Clark just, you know, really severely kicking the crap out of these kids. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to fly you home. And in that moment, I wonder what kind of emotional state she'd be in. Um, it was a very strange moment, I think, for Lana. Um, yes. Yeah. I, you know, I remember reading about that whole sequence when it came out. I remember that made yeah. it like a headline of Bleeding Cool. And I remember reading about it. I was like, oh, this like, seems. Yeah just very unsettling and it was it was to read yeah. uh, you know again it's like yeah different but i i don't know that that's the direction to go in and then speaking about lana you know then they continue on with this relationship until he leaves sure. for the yeah. navy now we know from dark knight strikes again when laura asks her father <clears throat> clark about sex with humans and he's like no no go never with yeah. terrans right yeah seems pretty clear that he and lana get it on before he leaves for the they're Navy. A little int- they're a little intimate, I think. Yeah. yeah. Unless they were just holding each other all night, but I don't <laughs> think so. So I don't, so again, as far as whether or not this is the same Superman, that may be a little bit of a contradiction there. Cause it seemed to very heavily imply that they, you know, we're, we're together physically in that sense. Right. But again, sometimes I feel like there, it's like, we or maybe just me in particular like i might be looking for more here than than was considered or thought about which maybe adds to my frustration you can't think about <laughs> superman and a relationship without thinking about kevin smith and talking and clerks when he's talking about superman being intimate with a woman you can't right. it's 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 every and that's why i guess wonder woman maybe in frank miller's mind is the ideal mate for him yeah. um, i mean he could physically move the earth having sex with wonder woman i mean you know 
Well, and he does. Yeah, no, for sure. I, w- I was thinking about that. I mean, I feel like the Clark of Superman year one is really this like sex god almost, right? Because he's, I think, very clearly with Lana, then Laurie, mm-hmm. then you know, he goes after Lois at the beginning of issue three when he saves her, yeah. but they don't really have much interaction beyond that. But then Wonder Woman is instantly smitten with him at the end of, of issue three. So he's clearly a magnet yeah. uh, for yeah. these women he's, in these issues. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a hunk. He's like you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm just waiting for that Smallville reboot. That's when uh, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring there to play Clark awesome. at age 16. <laughs> <laughs> be like saved by the bell yeah great listen color my hair you got rid of the gray temples i'll be good to go yeah you'll be good you stand me on an apple you know a milk a milk crate get that height uh and i'll, I'll be good to go the, i guess the other big thing that that is a departure in the smallville sequence is that clark's abilities are kind of like an open secret mm-hmm. right he he's not shy about i mean about lana them. seems to know right and and mom pop but i mean that's, that's people who always knew is there other people? I don't remember. Well, no, I mean, like, his kind of his, like, his legend has grown. I mean, I don't know that people literally know he has powers, but, you know, like the Markham kid, who's like the leader of that gang, you know, they talk about he was found oh, stuck yeah. in a tree, and they're like, you yeah, don't know anything yeah, yeah. about he, that, yeah, do you, yeah. Clark? Yeah, he obviously knows that there's something going on. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know. And then, like, one of the misfits, like, stabs his hand with a pen. Oh, yeah, yeah. When they're under the that. tree. Yeah, yeah. So, it's just one of those things where, like, there's, there seems to be this legend kind of growing around Clark, and doesn't seem to be protecting his secret to the extent that he does in other depictions uh, and then of course he has his big show-off moment at the football game at the very end which oh yeah he was just running with yeah. people trying to tackle him yeah that was a yeah. little much he's like one I time i just that. want to show what i can do it's like all right um but i feel like that moment largely goes unaddressed i mean pa makes a crack about it later on the in the fields when he's like oh yeah. you know because that's when clark tells him he's going to join the navy right uh and he's like you know better that than showing off like a jerk it's like okay i Again, I, I mean, so much of this, I just felt like, uh, I, I mean, unnecessary at a minimum, but, uh, but I, again, other aspects, which we'll get into as we move forward, I just feel like detrimental, I feel, to the, the, the origin story. You know, I get Frank Miller's stance, probably not wanting to just retell something that's already been done and wanting to inject some new stories, new parts of the story. Um, but I really feel like he should have consulted some other people. Um before before putting this to any you know and again he worked very closely with uh john ramita jr and he's a pretty good storyteller himself you you would be surprised they didn't like collaborate and be like you know what maybe this uh navy seals uh detour maybe (laughs) maybe not do this yeah but you know he was into it oh let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll continue we'll be right back Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. 
Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Skokie, Illinois, Muncie, Indiana, or Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop. If you have kids and are looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Oh yeah. And we're back. So just big picture with Superman year one. One of the things that I was thinking about was, yeah, I think for any of us who have read anything by Miller, he writes every character like they're a detective working their last case before retirement, right? There's that hard boiled noir style that that's him. basically that's permeates Miller. everything, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, if that's your style, you know, and again, it's easy for me to, you know, Monday morning quarterback this thing, but it's like, why not make a story about Clark investigating a story in seedy suicide slum? Boom. There you go. Mm -hmm. Then Mm -hmm. that style fits the setting of your story. But every, the way it was, it just, again, it just felt so, it's just so out of place. So rather than go through the Smallville episode, just start, he's in Metropolis, he's on the beat, and this is his year one. He's he's now Superman in the big city. He's trying to figure things out. I think yes. that would have been a great three-parter. You know, you do like a Sin City-esque type of thing. He's in, I, I would have been, I think that would have, I think that would have been, been a, a better melding of the Superman world and the style. You know, the other thing too with <laughs> Superman year one, I wasn't even really thinking this when, when I was reading it, but uh, a few people, including uh, my buddy Tyler from the Krypton Report podcast, he called out the fact that it's not year one. Like we it's cover like year years. 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. As I said to him, though, I was like, that's the least of this story's problems. <laughs> like, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So, so, you know, I guess the decision to join the Navy, you know, that takes us from the end of issue one uh, into issue two. I mean, I don't know. What was your take on this whole, on this whole Navy, Navy SEAL I mean, training? You know, I remember reading it and not knowing what I'm reading kind of thing. It's like, I can't believe I'm reading this, you know, and he's like, you know, besting all the other people. He can run better. He can jump higher. I mean, he's, he's like the Superman. Um, and I guess everybody recognizes it and he joins the SEALs and this whole thing. Um, but again, it was like so foreign of, you know, for the character that it was hard to even envision. You know, you want to be able to like read a story, suspension of disbelief. I feel like this just took you out of the story. It was just like, this is just bizarre. Um, As a, and again, 
Yeah. yeah so, and as soon so, and as soon as they got on that boat and they and his companions started killing people, it's like when when would Superman ever be okay with this? And yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't know. I couldn't get I couldn't get behind it. Also, I mean, can I, I, this question that I, I keep coming back to of of why, like, what is there any meaningful purpose we can find here? And again, the only thing I can think of is that maybe this is a way to help account for the stooge that he will later become. Other than that, it's really hard to really see how how this tracks in any way. I don't know. Everybody calls Superman the Boy Scout. You could have shown him joining the Boy Scouts as a kid, and everybody would have been happy with that. Like, oh, yeah, it's building a fire. Great. He uses heat vision for fire. Perfect. It would have been a funny little story element. This was, yeah, I mean, he went a long way out of the way to show that Superman is uh, good at taking orders. I get, oh, I mean, but again, only to a point, because I think it's ultimately, I mean, I think it's, he's ultimately discharged because he doesn't kill when mm-hmm. they board that ship that's been taken over by pirates, right? Like he knocks the guy, you know, in the head with mm-hmm. the gun, but he doesn't shoot to kill. And I think that's ultimately the final straw. I mean, otherwise, you know, there's this talk about him, you know, I guess having instant bouts of insubordination, but that felt kind of tenuous to me. It was like when they were on the beach and he was like, look, I see mermaids out there. And they're like, shut up. It's like, all right. <laughs> And you would think, like, you know, the government is pretty savvy in terms of, like, recognizing talent. And, like, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't let this guy go over such a meaningless thing. They would be like, yeah, all right, you, you fucked up here, but you're not leaving. <laughs> you know? But yeah. whatever. I mean, to advance the, the plot, they had to get him out of the, the Navy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, look, audience, if there's anyone out there, if you really liked this this detour in the Navy, this this twist on the origin story, you know, I would love to hear why, you know, because maybe there's something that I'm not considering. I will say just as a counterpoint, our, our next episode, we're going to be looking at the Earth One graphic novels by J. Michael Straczynski. Not my favorite, but there's there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And one of the things in the first volume of, of that book is you see Clark basically trying his hand, trying out in all these different industries. So he has like a goodwill hunting moment where he solves this impossible math equation at this, at the scientific facility. He tries out for the football team and he does amazingly. And so it's like, he has all of these options. And it's this idea that, you know, he wants to use his powers to help in some way, but he hasn't settled on the right way yet. Yeah. Right. And so he's, he's, you know, kind of testing out, testing the waters of these other routes he could potentially go down that rang more true for me and that felt like, okay, like that's kind of an interesting new wrinkle to kind of weave into the origin story that he has these these other, you know, possibilities before he settles on becoming a superhero and working at the Daily Planet. Uh, but the Navy bit just, just felt so odd. And little did I know, it would just get odder. Like that, in issue Wait, number two. Atlantis? Yeah. And so, okay, so uh, <laughs> I immediately had to go to Wikipedia. I'm like, is this an established character or is this another like out of Miller's head? Because I didn't know about Lori uh, Lamaris uh, before that. I read a little bit of her uh, Wikipedia. And I think it was an interesting inclusion um, that he brought this character up. Um, the character itself is very interesting. Um, I don't think I ever saw her appear in like an Aquaman comic. She seems to be solely in Superman comics, which is very strange. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, why, why is this here? Why is this sequence of him now becoming the king of Atlantis um, and married to, potentially married to Lori, a thing? I, I don't know. You know, and then that whole sequence of him, like, besting all of Poseidon's creatures. Um, I, again, it was very strange. Yeah, the incestuous uh, was some, Poseidon who wanted yeah, oh, yeah, to wanted make his daughter, daughter yeah. his bride. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. I, I, I have no comment on that scene whatsoever. Yeah, again, too, is just sort of baffling. And I, again, I'm really trying to give it the benefit of the doubt and, and, and you know, find some some meaning or value in it. I mean, you know, Clark in the first issue talks about how <laughs> the water is calling to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I, I guess maybe speaks to some sort of, you know, I, I don't know, some sort of connection that he has with the earth itself. Sure. So this idea that he's drawn to the water, that's why he chooses the Navy and that's why he's you know ultimately drawn to Atlantis. Uh, you know, I, I guess maybe that that makes some sense. But yeah, he spends a long time in Atlantis. That's where he dons the costume that Ma mm-hmm. made for him for the first time. And yeah, he performs all of these feats. Uh, you know, as he's uh, you know defeating Poseidon. I, I I don't know. Again, I keep coming back to this word baffling. It's just I don't know. I unless it was this it was this attempt to give you know clark's journey more of a mythic scale to it right like he's not traveling the world as a train to yeah. go to Metro- metropolis yeah he had other things sure but then we have all of the superboy stories from the 60s he did a lot of things right he was all over the place <laughs> yeah no i don't know i was i was surprised that i think that was re- you know because i got through the first issue well enough and yeah. and the second yeah. issue was i think really where it lost me and uh and never never got it back so yeah and and surprisingly it's very choppy with him and his relationship so you know obviously with uh lana in smallville it's like oh yeah i'll see you later and then you never see him ever even attempt it. i mean superman in a blink of an eye can go see lana at any second and he doesn't and then the same thing with uh laurie He's like the king. He's maybe her, her husband. They don't really talk about that. She wants him to be the husband. And then the, the third issue opens up. He's like rescuing Lois out of the water. And there's no mention of Lori again. Yeah, And he just <laughs> he follows just Lois off to Metropolis. Yeah, he just goes. He's and, gone. And when he leaves Atlantis, we have this sequence that shows he went back to school. Like he went to Kansas State University. Right. He was going to major in journalism. Yeah. Again, no, we never see any reunion with Lana. Yeah, again, it was it was very odd. Like, it would have been nice to have some sort of through line here. Yeah. Superman apparently is a big dick. He, who knew he was such a, such a player? I know. <laughs> I know. And you know what's, the, I think the worst thing about this, it would be one thing if, as he parts with each of them, he actually has a farewell and is like, look, this has been great, yeah. but yeah, destiny but awaits. I'm Superman, I gotta go. Yeah, but no, he keeps all these women on the line. Yeah. ridiculous even She's wonder on Woman. the roof for she's waiting on the roof lana lang wait for to come back with a little sign still waiting with that sign and even wonder woman at the end she's like kiss yeah. me and he like gives her this little yeah. peck. go and become a man and then come back to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> very strange so so odd i that, found that ending scene was very strange so yeah. you know <laughs> so by the way they say so they just meet like it seems like you know so in the in the story like luther convinces uh superman to go uh, confront Batman and then he does and then Wonder Woman shows up out of nowhere stops him and then you know he falls in love in the moment and then he's flying away and he says something like oh I left a part of me with her or something like that it's like really <laughs> you just met her <laughs> probably don't even know her last name <laughs> it, it was crazy I found the third issue to be the most disjointed it just felt like things were just happening and there did not seem to be any real cohesion it just felt very disjointed to me. Uh, you know, again, he saves Lois, he leaves Atlantis, he gets the job at the planet. He, you know, he has his 
a la Superman the movie, the first night of saves. You know, we see him, you know, saving people throughout the city. And yeah. then we're into that hostage situation at, you know, LexCorp that you were mentioning. Right. And then shortly thereafter, that puts him into conflict uh, briefly with Batman. Wonder Woman intervenes. Uh, she uses the lasso on Lex and he spills the beans on, on all of his sins, yep. including yep. the fact that he's had contact with Brainiac and the bottle city right. of Candor is out there. Yep. And that's how Superman year one ends. Yep. Superman it's going off to find Candor. space. Yeah. yeah. Which to your point, and I had the same thought, like if there was one thing, at least from a plot standpoint, that you can sort of point to across these stories, it is Candor. Because that's how Superman year one ends. And then, of course, in Dark Knight Strikes Again, that's the leverage that Brainiac and Luther exert over Superman to get him to submit, right, that they'll destroy Kandor. And then, of course, Master Race, the whole premise of that is that this this religious sect within within Kandor is restored to full size and, and attempt to enslave the world. So, like you said, I mean, I guess clearly Kandor, you know, made a big impression on Frank Miller because that's that's one thing that you see pop up in most of these stories. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, what do you make of the fact that we end? Because that's an odd, I thought it was such an odd place to end year one. He's leaving (laughs) to go find Kandor. Well, I mean, what did you think about about ending, the effect of ending on that note? Um, Well, you know, looking at the story as a whole, looking at that third issue, looking at my notes and stuff, um, you know, it just didn't, like you said, it didn't seem like it was this very coherent story. I remember reading Batgirl year one, that Marcos Martin uh, comic, you know, and it's like this full story. It's it's within her first year. Maybe it's her first mission. Year one Batman. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, this nice story. He's Batman the first year of crime fighting. This Superman one, he tried to do so many things. And I think he tried to evolve the character into his current form within a three-issue arc that took place, like your friends were saying, over multiple years. It just, it didn't have that same feel to it. And so how it ended, I don't know if it would have been any, any more satisfying if he did you know, ended on a different note. It just, it, it needed to end. And I'm glad it did so we could not read about, you know, read it again. Um, but, you know, again, the idea being that he's leaving now to go on to bigger and better things out in outer space, it's, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like one of those, like, oh, this is so inspirational. This is a great ending. It's not, it's just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look, I, I, I hate to come into an episode with, with this level of, of dislike of something. And I appreciate how hard it is to tell any kind of story, to make comics. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I can, I can appreciate that, but I just feel like, I don't want to go so far as to say, I think this was ill intention. I don't think that's the case, but I, I do. I don't know. I just feel like it was an irresponsible project to put out in the form that it was. Cause I just don't, I really don't feel it did justice to the Superman story the superman origin mm-hmm. uh you know out of and again i don't not not to belabor the point but it's like i've now read and watched virtually all of them and i don't feel that this really had something worthwhile and meaningful to add so again i won't you know i won't harp on this any longer but yeah this was a a major disappointment even more so than i expected it to be to be honest yeah i didn't know going into it i didn't read the reviews online um I'm not into the as much as the comic book news as you are. And so I was hopeful. I was hopeful that this was going to be a great series, just like the other year ones. And certainly like Batman year one. And it just wasn't that it was uh, largely a disappointment. Um, 
I think there was only one really funny scene that I enjoyed in this whole thing. And it was when uh, Wonder Woman and, and Superman go to confront Lex Luthor with the lasso. And they, I guess, fly right to the balcony that, of like the penthouse he's on. And then a couple of panels later, you see Batman because he had taken the stairs or maybe the elevator. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> but other than that, I didn't feel like there was much to it that I really felt so strongly about that I would recommend this book to somebody. I would say there's other stories out there for Superman's origin, and this is not the one. Um, whether or not it sets Superman up for the universe of Frank Miller, it probably does in some regards. But uh, in so in so far as that, it seems like the storyline with Candor is now this consistent thing throughout. That's the only thing. Um, but he could have done that in a different way. Um, I, I agree. Oh, the last thing I guess uh, it just reminded me: there is that moment where Luther, you know, plays him essentially and presents to the public this idea that Luther and Superman are a united front, and Luther's going to oh, send yeah. him after Batman. And Superman even thinks said, to himself, "I'm, I'm a, a stooge. stooge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah." yeah. yeah. I saw that. I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. there you go. At least there's that. So, yeah. again, going chronologically here, we'll build to the master race, but we'll just talk for a minute about All-Star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder. Now, listeners, you, you might recall, I did a, a, a limited run podcast called My Comic Shop Book Club uh, a year or so ago. And the first episode of that is a full discussion of the entire 10 issue run of All-Star Batman and Robin, the Boy Wonder. So if you're looking for more of a discussion on that, that is out there under the My Comic Shop book club feed. So for this, Bill and I, we just, we looked at uh, number five, which was the one where the, the you know, budding Justice League members get together and try to figure out what to do about Batman, right? Because yeah. Batman's kidnapped this, this young boy, Dick Grayson, whose parents were just murdered. Police are searching for them. And so they sort of have this, uh, this conference to decide what to do about him. What, now, just remind me, because I know we've talked about this, but All-Star Batman and Robin, did you read it when it was coming out? So I rem so Brandon was the editor of that, and he was very much behind All-Star Batman. And, uh, you know, I remember reading the first couple of issues, but then it was a huge hiatus, I want to say. Um, yeah, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I read up until then, and then I never read it again. So I don't remember where issue five came either before or after the hiatus, but it was years before, I mean, I since I've looked at these books and so much so that I didn't know that there's two uh, comics called all-star Batman. Yes. Um, a whole other series that I, I originally looked at the issue five. I'm like, well, this isn't the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I think DC is like, what are you doing? But I guess this is the all-star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder. What an interesting title that is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at least this has the Jim Lee art going for it. I mean, that's, I think the one saving beautiful. grace of it. Yeah. It's incredibly gorgeous. And, uh, I, I I think I'm going to go back and read all, was it 10 issues? Um, they, I'll tell you this, man. They zip does by. Does it end? No. Does it end? It stops. It just stops. <laughs> because I look, because after reading this one and seeing Wonder Woman's intention, I'm like, well, I got to see how this ends. And then she never makes an appearance in the series again. So, No, the I only, guess, I don't mean to spoil it, but uh, the only sort of payoff to what we read in issue five was that in, I think it's issue nine, is this the Green, Green Lantern La one? Green Lantern I could, confronts like, I was flipping through the pages looking for Wonder Woman. I'm like, oh, everything is yellow. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah. And I, I have to admit, that was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, paint, haven't, like, I haven't read it. Batman and Robin paint literally everything in this warehouse yellow. And they even, even themselves. <laughs> even themselves. And you know what the best part? I have to get like, you know, hats off because this did make me laugh. <laughs> Batman is pouring lemonade. It's, it's great. <laughs> so that's a book that. Again, I did a whole episode and like I, I a thousand percent can understand 
why people were so put off by it. I think Uh if you go in with the idea that this was not meant to be a serious take and, and also this idea that, you know, Batman is kind of cracking, right? Like he's kind of losing it. I I think that that helps issue five when he is jumping off the roof, laughing like the Joker uh, and then he's beating up this would-be rapist in the alley. And it's like, oh, this is a very strange take on Batman. He's like, I love being the goddamn Batman. And then, <laughs> you know, and then he beats the guy up and he says to the girl, he's like, call your therapist. Don't call the cops. It's like, oh my gosh. That's, very- that, that's the thing. I think if you go in with this sense that like Batman's losing it yeah. and the story around him is kind of bonkers, I, I think it's at least readable. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the God, I mean, even when I texted you about this, I called it the goddamn Batman. That's how forever, yeah. how I'll think of, of, of this, of this story. But, uh, you know, in, in issue five, Superman also appears very briefly in issue, uh, four where Batman kind of sends him on this mission to get the doctor who, uh, can perform this life saving surgery for Vicki Vale. Oh, okay. Um, I think Batman has Alfred call the call Kent at the planet and, and basically, you know, uh, you know, you know, let Clark know that Batman knows he's Superman and that okay. kind of forces him to go on this mission. But it's, it's very brief. But I mean, issue five is really, uh, you know, where you get the meat of it, where you have this meeting with the Justice League. And, and I guess there, that's where you really do see the connection point to Dark Knight Returns, right? This idea that, you know, the public will go after all of the heroes because mm-hmm. of what Batman is doing. Like Batman will be the excuse that they need to turn on all of us. So thematically, I mean, you know, it, it ties in. Yeah, as Wonder Woman says, he's an outrage, even to the even to men or something. Like she says, he's an outrage. Yeah, and of course, you yeah. know, Superman's response is too tepid for Wonder Woman's taste. You know, she's looking. She for wants more to fire. kill her. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was a very strange portrayal of Diana uh, in this issue. You know, from when, the second she walks onto the page, right? She's like Metropolis, the city of men. It stinks, and then she's like, "Get out of my way, sperm bank." It's like, oh, this. <laughs> what am I reading? <laughs> You know, you think of her, she's always very, I felt like she's very guarded, very proper. She's like an Amazonian. She's maybe above all this stuff, but certainly doesn't get down and dirty like that. Uh, she even at, at one scene, she's like, it's a Green Lantern. Here, pick up my coat. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, 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 and yeah, for sure. And she really takes Superman to task. And then until he has his, his angry God moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what gets her going. And, and mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they have their moment there. Uh, where they kiss, right? She grabs them. They kiss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily have too much more to say. Again, I, you know, it's not like I look at that and I'm like, oh, I see the connection from Superman year one. But I, I think really more in terms of where we're going in terms of Dark Knight Returns and Strikes Again, mm-hmm. you see this idea of, uh, you know, Batman's actions being a liability for the rest of the superhero community. Yeah. Uh, in this one, you also get a little bit of the... Uh, Frank Miller maybe hates uh, Superman, right? When when Wonder Woman says to him something like, uh, she calls him farm boy, I think, uh, in this one. And so, you know, I feel like those kind of comments are, are really, uh, they, they cut deep and maybe are, are low blows. Um, maybe not hates, but like you said, he, he definitely has a way to portray Superman and other, how other people perceive Superman. Um, even Wonder Woman, who loves him, apparently, she'll call him farm boy in a yeah. really nasty way, <laughs> you know? And and, that, and that's I mean I, I guess maybe that's less so of an issue here with Wonder Woman, but in in the especially returns and strikes again where that vitriol is coming from Batman, the hero of the story, you know it, it can't help but color the way you're looking at Superman, sure, right? So yeah. you know where the line is between you know what 
Batman thinks about Superman versus what Frank Miller thinks about Superman. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what's truly in his heart when it comes to Superman. But we're talking about Anthony. Frank Miller is Batman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is the goddamn Batman. <laughs> I, you know, before we we, you know, finish here with with the Master Race. Uh, again, having just my question for you, having just read or reread Returns and Strikes Again for that other episode we did. Um, is there anything that you look at differently or think about differently now after this other reading that we've just done or, or not so much? You mean, after, so with the uh, Master Race involved? Yeah, whether, you know, year one or all-star, year one and or all-star and or Master Race. Like, has anything changed about the way you look at Returns or Strikes Again? Well, Returns, to, in my mind, is still one of the best. Uh, Stark Strikes Again, I still think it's a, a really weak story. Uh, but we wouldn't have this third one make any sense without it, right? So you introduce the idea of, of Laura, this new character. Candor uh, certainly was in there as well. Um, so it was a very interesting bridge, just like a trilogy where the second one isn't so good. Like there's a lot of movie franchises where it's like, oh, that second one, you lost me. But then the third one finished strong. Um, and I feel like, they, you know, I'm glad that they introduced some of these storytelling elements in that story. I just wish it wasn't such a bad story, if that makes any sense. Um, I can't think of any, anything that I would say my reading of year one or the all-star would change. How about you? No, not, not necessarily. I, I guess one thing, this speaks more to Master Race, I suppose, was that at the end of Dark Knight Strikes Again, you know, Superman sort of, again, he's been beaten down by Luther and Brainiac and forced to serve in order to protect Krypton. Mm-hmm. And that culminates with, you know, Brainiac uh, attacking Metropolis and telling Superman, you know, your, your instruction is to flee, right? So that the people will lose hope in in the heroes. Because at that point in the story, yeah. a lot of them were coming back, right? Batman and his team were rescuing Barry Allen and Ray Palmer mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, yeah. And Superman, I guess, has had enough at that point. And, you know, he's now, you know, he's already been beaten down by Batman and he's had his earth-shaking lovemaking with, with Wonder Woman. And he's like, I'm not going to fight, but I won't flee either. So he just stays and just takes a beating, until his mm-hmm. da- daughter Lara comes in and and you know rescues him, and then at the end of Strikes Again, I mean, his realization that we get through that lovely narration is that he's not human, right? He's not one of one of us. Yeah. And he even says like, you know, Ma and Pa, like I'll always appreciate everything you taught me, but you know, I'm not one of them. And then at the end, he's with Lara, and they're looking at the Earth, and he's kind of like, you know, what what you know, what shall we do with this place? Right. So that's where we leave him in Strikes Again. When we meet him again in Master Race, he's just given up and he's frozen in his fortress. Yeah. So frozen it's kind of hard. I don't even know how, how you freeze Superman, but he's frozen by his own volition. Um, yeah, I guess he maybe just froze himself. Just sat down. What you, what you bring up is, a, is, a, is an interesting point. I think thematically, Frank Miller has something to say about there's a fine line between, you know, saviors, heroes, and gods, right? And it's, you know, whether or not the heroes themselves can make the distinction, whether the people have a problem making the distinction. It seems like it's an interesting place to be. Uh, a lot of things to mine in that, right? You know, you have these characters that literally are gods. And um, we see this in the master race where there's the Superman type God where he's, you know, he's out to benefit humanity. But then there's the Laura who's kind of like, you know, you don't know where she falls. And then you have the Kryptonians who are very evil. Um, so again, there's it, it, with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing uh, in this regard. Um, and so Frank Miller definitely explores that certainly in the master race, I think. 
Yeah, I know. I think that's fair. I, I think the larger problem I had, and, and maybe this is nitpicking, but it just it didn't feel like the Superman we met at the beginning of Master Race really tracks from what we saw at the end of Strikes Again. Like after Strikes Again, I wouldn't expect that he would just retreat to his fortress and freeze. Sure, but I mean, there's no sense of how long there was in between. Maybe three another years. episode. It's always happened. three years. It's always three years. It's always three years. Yeah. All right. Three so, years. in any event, look, like I said at the top, overall, I really did enjoy Batman. Uh, or dark three years can't be that that baby wasn't three years old well she was only pregnant at the in strikes again so maybe the kid was two no i'm almost i mean i have to double check but i'm almost positive that it was three years that they they established that uh but in any event overall i did enjoy i did enjoy (laughs) the master race it it was definitely the you know far more readable and coherent and the andy kubert art was gorgeous like it definitely had that feel of the dark knight universe but it was much cleaner than what Frank Miller's art has become. So that made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I feel like, like, you know, I would love to be able to listen to an audiobook version of the Dark Knight Strikes Again, because maybe the story is good, but I just couldn't get into it because of the art. The art was just so off-putting. Um, whereas, like you said, this one is like night and day. Um, really beautiful stuff. Um, almost as, as good as the Mazzuchelli work with year one. I mean, really beautiful take on, on, uh, setting the scene, setting the tone and everything. I know it doesn't well, take you out of the story. That's for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm glad we're, we're chatting because I know you posted in the, the flat squirrel podcast network, Facebook yeah. group, as you were reading this. And it, it seemed like this, this, uh, again, offered a good bit of redemption for the, oh, the Millerverse for you. And it seemed like it, it hit, like it seemed to really resonate with you. I had not read this until this podcast. Same. Um, and so I had only read the first dark Knight returns and the dark Knight strikes again. And it was so, devastated because the dark knight returns is such one of my favorite comics and to see what he did with the sequel it's like well i can't get behind anything else he does and i really felt like this one like 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 i said in the in the message board it was such a redemption for the for the story for him for the character for everything um even so the last issue for example issue nine was such filled with such fan service for people who love the frank miller universe i don't know if it, again it was brian azzarello saying we should bring some of these things in or not but you know, those last couple of issues from uh, the 1930s Batmobile to using the uh, the signal to call the bats uh, at the end uh, to that scene of him and Carrie jumping down with the lightning. I mean, it was just such a beautiful imagery in those last, that, especially that last issue, that it was like, if you're a fan of this work, you just have to just, you fall in love all over again reading that one, um, especially when the bats come. I don't know. I love that scene in year one when the bats come and he does it again, <laughs> you know, like good old Batman. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, there was definitely a lot that was satisfying. Was both cheering. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry, I, no, I no, need to go, derail go. you. The other thing I loved is the fucking Lazarus Pit. Holy shit! Goddamn Superman! <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when that happened, I remember screaming. I was so excited. I was like, "This is such a great thing to do." Uh, and then you know, again, it gives you this whole hope for the future. Batman is now young again. He's going to be like reborn as a crime fighter with now alongside Carrie, you know, who's Batwoman. Um, I thought it was a great. It was just great for me. It was a great ending. Um, I didn't. I didn't know about that fourth one until right before this podcast. I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> Should have just left it on high note. Yeah. So you know, look again with the Golden Child, real quick. So this was a one shot that came after the Master Race that Miller wrote himself, and you know, it, it, Batman and Superman are are not in it, or it's, it's exceedingly fleeting. I think we see Clark on one page. Uh, but it's essentially like the next generation of the world's finest. So Lara and Carrie and Jonathan, the the, the baby or toddler, is the golden, the titular golden child, but has very little to do in it. But as, as I was explaining to you off mic, it's, it sounds insane. Like Darkseid and Joker team up to rig the election for Trump. 
and uh, and, and Lara has this big showdown with with Darkseid. It's entirely unsatisfying. I mean, I, I I don't know what else to really say about it. And it, given the real lack of Superman in it, I am fine with not really saying much more about it. But it's one of those things. If we had stopped after Master Race, no, that was the, that was really the place to stop. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so in, so in in the Master Race, this was a nine issue miniseries that I do think was plagued by delays because looking at the uh, you know the table of contents in the trade paperback, it looks like it was published over like a couple of years. So I think it took okay. a little while to come out. But but in any event, uh, the Master Race in this case refers to the uh, the Kryptonians the Kandorians who are uh, restored to full size by Ray Palmer, the Adam. And when he frees them, he finds that this, this extreme religious sect led by Quar um, have slaughtered all these other Kandorians and have, have taken control. And, and in fact, after they're restored to full size, they destroy the rest of the bottle mm-hmm. city Kandor. of Kandor yeah. and set about to enslave earth. And they demand that uh, Batman be turned over to them. And so, you know, it creates this tension where the, the people of Gotham now are hunting Batman, like he, the, mm-hmm. the Kandorians have reduced them to their, you know, their, their worst, you know, survival instincts. Sure. Uh, and then hand in hand with that, of course, we have the Superman journey where he begins frozen uh, in, in the fortress and is woken up by Batman and Carrie when the Kandorians, uh, you know, escape. And, and again, so like we've been talking about that connection to Kandor, like that's enough to snap him out of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of that. And, you know, he has this confrontation with Lara, who's been turned She's been brought into the fold with these Kandorians. And just like in Dark Knight Strikes Again, he won't fight Lara, his daughter. Mm-hmm. He just lets himself get pummeled. I mean, just beat days, mercilessly. Right? Or like for hours, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And they ultimately uh, douse him with this black matter that kind of encases mm-hmm. him. And then they they just totally level the fortress. Um, and so, you know, he's he's off the board for a little while until, uh, you know, our, our heroes. Aquaman gets him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, Carrie, who's now become Batgirl, uh, teams mm-hmm. up with Aquaman, and they have this device that can sort of penetrate the Black Matter, and it, it revives Superman. And I guess at that point, that's where our redemption arc starts mm-hmm. for Superman. Because uh, for him, it seems like a lot of time has passed. It's only been a couple yeah. of days, but in his mind, it's been, I don't know. Well, he says that. You don't get to see it, right. this internal struggle, but he says he like found himself or whatever they said uh, while he was trapped in there. And that's a good thing, because he needed to snap out of it. Uh, and come to his senses and really be the leader that we know him to be. Uh, and up until that point, he wasn't there. He had lost his faith or whatever you want to say. Um, maybe froze his emotions. Maybe it's like a metaphor for what was going on. Um, but yeah, he reawoken his passion for saving the earth. Yeah. He said he searched his soul. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have seen that soul searching. Yeah. Right. But it's not a Superman comic. It's not a Superman, but it's almost a Superman comic. And sure. I feel He's like. a big player. Like you said, you know, each issue, it has our main story for 30 pages or whatever. And then there's the backup story. Yeah. Right. That focus it like the first one, for example, deals with Ray Palmer and, and Lara bringing the bottle city of Candor to him. And I, I, it would have been nice maybe if one of those had been reserved for Superman's soul searching, it would have been nice to see that. But in any yeah, event, yeah, you know, he, he comes out and he's ready to do battle. And, you know, Batman, of course, the ingenious Batman with his resources and his time, he's able to seed the clouds with synthetic oh, kryptonite. It. That was cool. Such a so it rains scene. kryptonite. Yeah, and then he has Superman in the lead costume. It's yeah. Like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, side by <laughs> side this time rather than opposed yeah. like they have been in the past. So again, to your point, I think, but I think that's, like again, I wonder where these ideas come from because it reads like someone who loved Dark Knight Returns yeah, and is like, oh, like we can do, like we can have them in, you know, both in the, the suits of armor next to each other. Yeah. I don't know that that was a Miller thing. Like that feels more like 
like Brian Azzarello. Which is great. Which I'm is happy. fine. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. They made a great story together. Um, it, like, like we were saying before, very coherent, and it was an enjoyable story. Um, as a fan of Dark Knight Returns, this was a beautiful story. I really enjoyed this. I, I thought this was a fitting sequel. It was. I, uh, totally, man. I, uh, I'm with you on that. And like you mentioned before, the Lazarus Pit. So Quara uses his heat vision on, on, on Batman sort of as, as he's retreating. It's like this parting, yeah. parting shot. And, you know, this could be it for Bruce, but Superman won't allow it. And he takes him to a Lazarus Pit and he's restored to life and youth. I was really, that took me by surprise. I didn't know, yeah. you know I didn't really know much about the story going into it. And I yeah. definitely didn't know where we were ending. Uh, so yeah, that really took me by surprise. He's a young man again. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Ralph Ghoul, when he goes in the Lazarus pit, I don't think he becomes a young man, does he? He always seems like he's a 60 year old dude. And so <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's cause it's Batman's first trip in the uh, Lazarus pit. He looks like he's 20 years old again, which is great. Yeah. But doesn't seem to have the, you know, the insanity that normally, uh, comes yeah. with a, a, a bath in the Lazarus pit or the bloodlust, which was how the mm-hmm. Arrowverse uh, spun it. Did you ever watch any of any of that? No. 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 Uh, but yeah, they did a lot with a lot with Roz and the Lazarus pits. But in any event, he comes out, you know, unscathed men- mentally. He's just, you know, ready to yeah, ready to go, ready to go. And you know, we get to that. There's a, a big Superman moment I want to jump back to. But you know, we get to that final page of the main story, the one that you had posted in the Facebook group yeah. uh, of you know bat of Bruce and Carrie both you know jumping into the night with the lightning behind yeah. them, just yeah. like in the original Dark Knight Returns and. You know, throughout all of these Dark Knight stories, there's been this talk of a better death, a good death, right? And then we yeah. end on this note of him saying, like, this will be a better life. Yeah. Um, so it did bring everything full circle in, in a cool way. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dark Knight Returns starts with an older Batman who's retired, you know, and come forced to come back because the mutants are taking over the city. And, you know, he's an old man. Um, and it's, it's a great redemption for him. Or not a redemption, but it's just a great um, way to end it. As a beginning, you know, as a new beginning. Yeah. No, there, it was, it was, uh, overall I liked it. Although, it, you know, I, the one question that I do come back to, and I guess I know my answer because I, I know you really enjoyed this, but part of me is like, I guess after strikes again, you really did need something to, to, to redeem it and, and kind of yeah. tie things up. But, you know, I just keep going back to this idea. Should Dark Knight Returns have just been left alone? Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I, I agree. There's there's so many properties like that, not only comics, but in movies too. You just wish they would leave well enough alone. And I feel like this third one was a fix for the second one. Um, and it shouldn't have, shouldn't have been necessary, but but they did a good job with it. So it was great. Um, but I would be just as happy if it was just The Dark Knight Returns. Absolutely. Yeah, because I feel like that just has more to say about the character and it says it. And then, I, like, I'm... Well, I'm happy with the ending of, of Master Race. I, it's still not more satisfying than the Dark Knight Returns ending. Like that felt like a really cool place to stop. Um, even more so than this. But again, uh, given where we are and everything, I, I, I can appreciate the Master Race and, and the, yeah. the conclusion. So like I said, the big Superman moment in here, uh, or big to me at least, <laughs> is when they have the final confrontation with the Kandorians. Mm-hmm. And Superman is just letting loose and we get Batman's narration and he's like, oh my God. So he's been holding back. He's been holding back all these years. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those issues, Superman's like, what are you talking about? I snap you, snap you like a twig or something like that. He says something like that to Batman. I forget what he says, but 
we all knew that. I and mean, you asked me that question last podcast, like who would win in a fight? And, you know, Superman definitely is all powerful. But I guess with regards to Batman, he always has been holding back. But I guess Batman's always sees Superman non hold, you know, you know, when he's fighting other characters, not holding back. So, um, yeah, he, well, he, he definitely had a, an axe to grind with these Kandorans, you know. He did. Now, not, not, to, not to be a downer, but we've had a moment like this. Uh, at the end of the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, which I don't know if you've watched or if you remember, I never but that. No. the final confrontation in the series finale of the of the show, the final confrontation between Superman and Darkseid, Superman has this speech that is one of my all-time favorite Superman moments from anything, where he says to Darkseid, I feel like I live in a world made of cardboard, always having to hold back to not hurt anyone. It's like, but you can take it, can't you? This is a rare opportunity where I can really cut loose. And he does it, and it's like, oh, it was so cool. So, so again, we get like an echo of yeah. that here, and sure. and it works, and I'm happy. And I do think this question of you know whether you know whether Miller Superman gets any kind of redemption in these stories, I think that's you know that's a good example of that where we've seen him yeah. kicked around. I mean, I think oh, of Dark Knight so. Strikes Again in particular when he goes to confront Bruce in the Batcave, and he's got Adam stomping around in his head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ollie firing, firing kryptonite arrows on him and Bat Bruce has yeah. got the kryptonite block boxing gloves. I mean, they beat the yeah. crap out of him. Right. So this was, I think, a fitting, you know, a, a fitting moment of triumph for him. I did appreciate that. You, you got to give credit where he's due. I mean, Superman is, is an incredible character and he had his chance to shine in here for sure. Yeah. Um, and becomes and become Superman. You know, he lost his way for a minute. Yes. In the in the Miller universe. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say about uh, about Master Race or, or any of the other stories that we read? Uh, there's some great scenes in uh, um, Master Race for sure, and great lines too. Um, I think it's very interesting that it's a Batman story. We don't see Batman until the third issue, which is kind of a great thing. Uh, Carrie is masquerading as Batman for a little bit. Um, but in issue three, when you finally do see Batman, I wrote this quote down because it's so great. And he says, I, I wanted to take the punch. I thought that would scare them. Probably too many punches put that thought in my head. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It's, it's such a great, you know, but again, it's like, like you said, like Miller has this hard boiled delivery of, especially with regards to Batman. I really think he does a great Batman, uh, especially the inner monologue. And I thought that was that, that was everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, was there anything else that, uh, that you had oh, in I your notes? Know. I don't know. I took notes on every one of them. Oh, good man. But, uh, Good man. Well, wasn't it really interesting to see uh, Trump, by the way, in uh, in this issue? Yeah. Or the Dark Knight. They, you know, you know, especially it was like, we're going to get those Kandorians to pay for Gotham City. I know. <laughs> oh, so true to, to character. I thought that was great. Yeah, that uh, is true. Oh, the other, uh, talking about Superman lines and the redemption for Superman and things like that. Uh, I thought this was the best Superman line I'd ever read. Read. It's like I pray to the Lord I grew up believing in because I'm not a bird or a plane. I'm only Superman. Man, what a great line. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You, you, you fall in love with Superman in this book for sure. And I, I've never a big, you know that I'm not a huge Superman guy, but I really felt for Superman in this because, again, uh, this is his problem and everybody else is helping him fix his problem. The Kandorans are largely, the you know, he's been the warden of that city and he's, you know, cause this to happen, um, this religious cult to kind of form and prosper. And uh, it's nice to see him take care of business. And then that final issue too, that that little one shot was such a great narrative, the entire thing. I think it's Wonder Woman who narrates it. No, I think it's Clark. Uh, 
Was it Clark? Okay. Yeah. I think as he's yeah, talking just, to Lara before they put the glasses on and oh, that's go right. out into yeah, that's the right. world. Oh, yeah. It's so great. Yeah. That's such a great scene. Which, again, not to be a downer, but when we start with the golden child, Lara's view of humanity is very negative. It's very mm-hmm. cynical. She only sees the worst in people, um, which, you know, again, is not where I see that, that character going at the end of Master Race. You know, clearly she's had her change of heart. She's defected from the Kandorian side. She's... Uh, with her father, she's trying her hand at living in the world the way he does. Um, so, I mean, I guess you can argue in the few years that pass between uh, Master Race and Golden Child, things fall apart for her and, and she comes to view humanity in that way. But that's not, again, it does, that doesn't feel like the intention at the end of Master Race. I feel like Master Race does end on a more optimistic note. Absolutely so. I mean, it starts off then, and, and I don't know if she's being naive or not by letting those uh, the Kandorans out, uh, but she certainly is very easily swayed. Um, but I think she's a young girl and she's very powerful and she she doesn't know her place in the world. And I think that's evident. Um, I think Wonder Woman and Superman maybe have done her a disservice trying to raise her. Um, um, and, you know, because, again, she's rebelling like a rebellious teenager, right? Rebelling against Wonder Woman, you know, um, she, thinking that Wonder Woman's trying to control her. And it's like, you know, what she must feel. Um, but yet, like you said, towards the end, you get the sense that she's now on board. She's going to be the savior of humanity, but then it's, it's, it's upsetting to know that she's fallen off, fallen off the wagon again. Again, I um, wouldn't worry about golden child. I think just I'm not going to read it with stick with master. I'm not read it. This is a great ending for this story. Uh, and I, um, look, I love that she, Clark puts she, the glasses back on. What's up? Yeah. Oh, does she appear in anything else or is she purely a Miller character? As far as I know, just a Miller thing. Okay. So we don't have to worry about her in some other story. So no, you know, as far as the, those, Big picture questions. I, I think we have answered them. I think, you know, whether it's the same Superman across all these stories, you know, I think more or less, it doesn't always feel so, so cohesive, especially the year one of it all. That still kind of feels like more of its, of its own thing. But I think, again, at least in a spiritual sense, you know, you can, you can sort of follow that character on a journey again, more or less. Uh, I, I for myself, I don't think that Miller hates the character of Superman. Uh, like I said, I still don't, this is not my preferred take on the character in any of these stories, but I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a matter of him hating the character. If it turned out to be the case, I would be surprised and disappointed to, to know that. And, and as far as, again, any potential through line, candor is really the main thing that, you know, I keep coming back to. And, yeah. the, you know, this tie, this very specific tie to, you know, to, to his home world um, that we see is, is a big motivator for him in terms of leaving earth at the end of year one or, you know, submitting to luther and brainiac in order to protect them and then sadly having to make the you know the choice to come back to action and you know and fight against mm-hmm. them in the end here so i don't know was there anything else about those those questions that uh, that, that came to you over the course of this no i think you summed it up pretty well um yeah candor is definitely the uh the the cohesiveness or the glue that ties them all together um i really would love for him to uh did, did, did Miller ever comment on year one and, and his thoughts on why he took the character in this direction? I'm very curious to know, you know, in his mind, whether or not this is the same Superman throughout or whatnot. Um, I wonder what he would say to that. I don't know. I came across a John Romita Jr. interview where they posed that question and he, you know, basically like hinted that it was, but was like, oh, you'll see. I, that was sort of the gist of it. I, I yeah. didn't necessarily find a Miller interview specifically that spoke to that. So, yeah. I, you know, Year one in particular, could I could I in good conscience really recommend it to someone? No, I mean I really wouldn't unless you were. I mean, if you're really a huge Miller fan, you probably already read it, and if you're like so curious about it, 
you know, especially if you have the app it's and you can read it, read. it's like, sure, yeah. go for it. But uh, other than that, that was a major disappointment. But on the flip side, Master Race was a pleasant surprise. Uh, yeah, so I, I was, you know, I was happy, <laughs> happy to read that and, and at least was able to get something, you know, out of, out of that story. So overall with Frank Miller, uh, how do you feel he is, uh, where, where do you see him now in, in going to the future? Do you think he's going to be continuing on this road of writing? Um, or do you think he's, has he stopped? I don't really know much about what's going on with the Frank Miller as an author at the moment. You know, I don't have the details off the top of my head, but I, I believe he started a publishing company very recently oh, yeah. and Dan DiDio, uh, formerly okay. of DC is, is yeah. working with him there. So as far as what his hands-on creative involvement is going to be, I don't know. I suspect, I, I feel like the days of seeing Frank full Frank Miller interior art, I feel like that's probably oh. past. I think, you know, yeah. if, if it's anything he's, he's writing, I, but I really, that's just my own speculation. I, and then as far as any potential DC work and he returns to the Miller verse, it's like never say never, but I feel like maybe we've he's, seen the end, at least from him. Stories. Yeah. From, but that's actually, you know, a question that I have for you and for the audience. It's like, or I guess a two-part question, and we can, we can end on that. You know, is the Millerverse, should the Millerverse continue to be at this sandbox that, that creators can play in? Or should mm-hmm. we really stop? And maybe we've even already gone too far. And if so, like if we should tell more stories, you know, this is, I hate to, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but this is one of those rare instances. Normally I would be like, no, you can't do it without the creator. But in this case, I'm kind of like, I would probably be happy if we could kind of yeah. turn the reins over to, to new creators to kind of play in this universe that he created, but not actually have it be Miller. But what, how do you feel? Well, certainly I, I think that, you know, this, this dark Knight, uh, you know, master race ends with this positive, uh, very, very much like an outlook to the future, with regards to Laura, with Superman, and even Batman as a young self. Now he's got Carrie as like a sidekick instead of the Robin. I mean, I would love to see stories, um, you know, taking this and, and as a leaping off point and going further. Um, and, and, and again, it does not have to be Frank Miller. And I think people have taken his universe already successfully and, and made sto- done stories there. I mean, uh, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb with uh, Long Halloween was really set in the early Miller universe for Batman. So I think people can do it uh, and do it successfully, but who knows if anybody will. I mean, there are some, there's some goofiness there that I think that uh, uh, everybody will think about certainly when they, when they, when they see that another, you know, book in this, in this uh, arena is coming out. Yes. I don't know. I agree. You know, I, I do think it would be, not that I don't know that it would be a tough sell necessarily, but I, I think in terms of creatively, like really finding a way in that would be, interesting and different i mean again the fact that bruce is a young man now opens things up but then i almost wonder if that works against them for future stories because you know the one of the main hooks for this initially is that it's old man Was batman it? it's old man yeah. bruce yeah so now if he's a young man <laughs> it's like everything else yeah but 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 carrie is a great character you know we got to see her as robin then as the catwoman character whatever she wanted to call herself then and now as batwoman um you know i would love to see you know more of that um but again, maybe it's best that this is the universe. This is a finite thing, and it's kind of an over. It's over. Um, yeah, I'll be curious to see what, what if anything, uh, you know, emerges from from the Miller verse in the future. We'll yeah. see. Certainly, with regards to Miller himself, if you were to recommend anything, I feel like you know, year one still, Dark Knight Returns. Certainly, this Master Race. I love his Daredevil stuff from the eighties. Um, you know, even Sin City was 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 a coherent story. But I don't think I would recommend much more 
don't know about how you feel about Miller and some of his other works. Basically the same. I mean, look, and I said this when we did our other episode, I, I was, my reading of Dark Knight Returns for that episode was the most I've ever enjoyed it. So, I mean, I do think, yeah. you know, that really holds up great. And, you know, I got more out of it now than I ever did before. Like, that's awesome. That's a very cool special thing. And year one, Batman year one remains, you know, one of my favorite Batman stories. So, and I'm a, I haven't gone back to that Daredevil run in years, but I loved oh it when gosh, I, when I read so it good. as a kid. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I think vintage Frank Miller, I think that work, you know, still holds up and, you know, look, both of us worked at a comic book shop and I know we recommended those books to people. And it's like, yeah. I'm sure people at comic shops are still doing that and will continue to do so. The, the more recent work, yeah, it's tough. And, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. Uh, you know, to what extent does something like Dark Knight Strikes Again or All-Star Batman and Robin tarnish the legacy mm-hmm. of the original works? Uh, you know, on the one hand, you, you can't help but think of those when, you know, when you reread your Dark Knight Returns. But at the same time, you know, Dark Knight Returns still exists unto itself in that yep. single collected edition. So you can block out everything else or at least try to. So I, I guess for each person there, you know, mileage will vary about, you know, whether these these later works, uh, if you believe they don't work, you know, whether or not they, they undermine the legacy of the of the whole endeavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? One, one final thing, because again, I'm going to go dive into All-Star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder now. <laughs> um, so it was left unfinished. We're talking about Miller and, and should anybody finish it? Is it a story that should be finished in your mind? And uh, who would you want to see finish it? What's so crazy to me about All-Star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder is that the first, so it ran for only 10 issues and issues one through nine are basically the arc of dick grayson becoming robin and coming to terms with his parents death so much so that when dc put out the original trade paperback collection it was all-star batman and robin the boy wonder volume one and it collected those first nine issues and then they put out issue 10 which started this new story with the joker yeah and you know part of me is like we just if we just kind of erase issue 10 you know those nine issues I, i think are are you know self-contained enough that you can kind of look at that as a complete story but we do have this other issue out there i mean there was a time i don't know if you remember this but dc announced that miller and jim lee were going to do uh like a six issue follow-up miniseries to tie everything up and i I don't know it was i think it was gonna be called like raw i think it was gonna be called robin or something like that uh, so there was an intention to, and I, and okay. I do want, you know, I, I don't know where the breakdown occurred. If scripts weren't being written or mm-hmm. if Jim Lee didn't have time, I don't know. But I, so I wonder if there are even scripts out there. I mean, I, I would love to get more Jim Lee art in the Batman world. So for that alone, gosh, I'm kind of so like, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's one of those, it's, it's really tough to say. Cause part of me is like, yeah, it would be great if let's say Miller wrote an outline Mm-hmm. And maybe this, this already exists and someone, whether it's Azarello or someone else can kind of come in and, 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 and turn that into a script. But it's like, if it doesn't sound like all-star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder, it's going to be very jarring. But at the same time, I don't know that people are necessarily clamoring for more of the so-called sure. goddamn Batman. So I feel so like it's a happy. real tough spot. They're happy it's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's but it's a, really yeah, strange yeah. to just be, you know, left hanging like that. Um, Given how high profile it was, given the fact that it's Frank Miller and it's Jim Lee, it's, it is very odd to me that mm-hmm. this was just left hanging out there with those 10 issues, but it's been what's it, over a decade now. It's like, I don't yeah. <laughs> think yeah, we're not coming back to it. I don't think we'll ever, but I, you know, it's like, you never know with these things. You never know, but I doubt well, it. It's out there. Yeah. 
Well, listen, thank you very much. I really, I enjoyed this chat a lot. Thank you for allowing me to vent and get my feelings out there about Superman year one. I knew you were going to have something to say about that because, you know, <laughs> the second I saw him holding a gun, I was like, this is very strange. Yeah, it was. But I'll say this, as little as I enjoyed reading it, I had a lot of fun talking about it. So yeah, for sure. it's all worthwhile. So thank you very much. I look forward to the next time that you and I can do this. Audience, thank you as always for tuning in. Truly, I really, really appreciate it. Make sure you come back in one week for our next all new episode. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. Actually, before we sign off, I wanted to share a special free preview of the newest episode of my Patreon exclusive podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey, in which Fat Moose Comics owner Sean Hendricks and I discuss the 1989 Batman movie directed by Tim Burton and starring Michael Keaton. Enjoy the preview. Welcome to Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the 1989 Batman movie, directed by Tim Burton and starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, is the owner of Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey, Sean Hendricks. Welcome. Hey, pal. How's it going? It's going great. Even better now that you're here and we're going to talk about this Batman movie. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, you know, I'm not much of a Batman guy, but I'll do what I can, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you are one of one of the biggest Batman fans I know, truly. So I'm honored that you are sharing your insight with me and with the audience for this 1989 Batman movie. This kicks off a four-episode, four-month arc on Digging for Justice here, as over the next three months we'll be covering, naturally, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. And for the most part, I've not revisited any of these movies in a very, very, very long time. So I, I can't, I mean, I'm almost coming into to a lot of these with fresh eyes. So fascinating experience so far. And I'm excited well, to compare let me, notes. Let me ask you this. Who are your guests for the other episodes? I'm just curious who you have lined up for each subsequent movie. Do you have it? I'm sure you plan stuff way in advance. You're like Batman in that manner. I so. plan... Stupid far in advance. No, it's not a secret. So okay. next up for Batman Returns, we'll have Tom Darby from Alternate Realities, one of the cool, old cool. comic shop guys, and Batman Returns is one of his favorite movies. Then for Batman Forever, our great friend V. Ken Marion. And Batman Forever was the first Batman movie he saw in theaters, so he's got that personal connection with it. And then Batman and Robin, we got to give a special shout-out to our mutual friend Nick Jones, taking one for the team and oh, covering man. Batman and Robin. He was such a good sport. Oof. And I appreciate him going <laughs> along with this. So that's the lineup for these four episodes. You know, real quick, um, just speaking of, of Batman and Robin, I believe it was 97. And I had gotten in an argument with the girl I was dating at the time. And she was supposed to go with me to the movie. And said, I was like, I'm just going to go to this movie. I'm going to go. And I was so I already went in in a bad mood. Watching the actual movie did not help that mood at all. To the point where when the movie was over, I, I marched over to the box office. Like, I want my money back. And they said, what? I said, that was horrible. And you're terrible people for even running that movie in here. And I raised such a stink that they actually refunded my money. <laughs> They're like, just whatever it takes to get this guy out of here. Just, just fine, fine. <laughs> wow. But now as the owner of a comic shop, I mean, what would you do if someone came in and they were like, I really didn't like this comic. I want my money back. How could you dare sell this to me? No. <laughs> <laughs> But that's my comic shop that I own, you know, a movie theater, you know, it's the ticket teller. They, they don't care. Oh, they yeah. Don't have a stake in the, you know, they got no blood in the game there. 
speaking of movies generally, <clears throat> did you ever see the movie Neighbors with uh, Zac Efron and Seth Rogen? No. I heard it was good, but I just never got around to it. Very funny movie. And there's a bit in there that I, I so I bring this up for a reason. There's a bit in there where their their characters are talking about Batman and specifically Batman on, on the big screen. And they talk about who their respective Batman is. So Seth Rogen says, this is my Batman. And he does a Michael Keaton impression and says, I'm Batman. And then Zac Efron says, this is my Batman. And he does a Bale impression. And he goes, I'm Batman. <laughs> and my wife and I always joke about that bit, but I feel like that's sort of just to sort of set the stage for this discussion we're going to have. I think you and I probably fall into that, those same categories, because for me, Batman Begins was very, very formative for me in terms of when I saw it and how I viewed the character as depicted in the film. And that's my big screen Batman when I, when I as much as I that was 2005. So you were like seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I had just graduated high school. Like it was just the right time for me. And so as much as I've enjoyed most of the big screen Batman in different ways, that's always where where my my head and my heart go initially to the to the Christian Bale, Chris Nolan version of the character. But I know that the Keaton version as as brought to life by by Tim Burton in, in this film was so formative for so many people, probably including yourself. So I think it'll be interesting for us to sort of compare notes. Well, my first Batman, being an old man that I am, my first Batman was Adam West. You know, yeah. they, they were reruns every day after school. I think it was Channel 9 or whatever. They would show the old episodes. And so that was my first live-action Batman. But yes, as far as cinematic, you know, Michael Keaton, 19, I'll set the stage for you here. 1989, I was a senior in high school. Um, I graduated in 90. Wait, so it was June of 89. So I guess I was a junior in high school because then it would have started in September for 89 to 90. All right. So I was a junior. They had my driver's license. I was very excited to see this movie. Everybody knew I was a comic book geek. You know, um, everybody was coming up to me with questions about it and stuff. And, and oh, man, you know, what do you what do you think? It's like, I haven't seen it yet. We'll find out. And my art teacher talked me into more like goaded me into asking this girl out to see the movie. Uh, she was in my art class. She was a Swedish exchange student. Just beautiful, statuesque, so pretty that nobody ever asked her out because it was intimidating. So my art teacher, God rest her soul, Kiki Cross, she was a sweetheart. She's like, you should ask her out. You know, she doesn't have a lot of friends. She's an exchange student. See if she wants to go see that Batman movie with you. So I, I asked her out. I said, would you like to go with me to the premiere of, of Batman? And she's like, oh, my God, yeah, it'd be so great because movies like that don't come out in Sweden for months and months. So I, I could call my family and tell them I got to see it before they get to see it. And so to, to make it less daunting, I invited one of my best friends to come with us because this way it's, Hey, we're all just going out to a movie and it wasn't a date date, you know? So I, I will always remember the movie fondly just because all my friends are like, Oh my God, you asked her out. And she, she said, yes. I'm like, I know this is bizarre. And so we went to the movie opening night and uh, had a great time. And then, I had to drive them both home and my best friend was living like literally a block from where Corinne, her name was K-R-I-N. She was staying with the foster family or whatever, you know? And uh, so not being completely stupid, I dropped him off first. Of course. Then I drove a block over and walked her up to the front door and we, we shared a smooch and it was lovely. And then uh, she went inside and that was it. 
we hung out once or twice after that. And then she went back to Sweden. We, we were pen pals for a minute or two because it's pre-internet. Cause again, I am old. And, uh, but yeah, my, my, uh, feelings about that movie will forever be rosy just because I was sitting next to like this gorgeous Swedish exchange student. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie in and of itself was enjoyable anyway, but it was also that kind of like, I'm glancing to my left, like, Oh my God, I can't believe she said yes. Oh, that's a great story. And that's the thing. And I think, I know I think about this and I talk about it all the time on these episodes is that those, the settings for these things play such a big role. And when I eventually cover Batman Begins, you know, I'll talk more about that, but it, it wasn't a date, but yeah, I remember going with my buddies from high school and we had just graduated. We we're getting ready for college. Like it's just, it really, it came at, at a, at a, again, a very pivotal time in my life. And I think that that goes hand in hand. I mean, I love the movie in and of itself. And I think I would have regardless of when I saw it, but coupled with that timing, it, it really had a lot to do with it. I wonder whatever became of, of your date. And, and I wonder even more what, how she remembers it. You know, oh, what, what yeah. sort of figure are you when she tells these stories about, about her life and this time that she, you know, came to America and, and she was a foreign exchange student? You know, I've never even considered, I, I still remember her last name and I probably still somewhere in this mess of a room have the letters, you know, from her because we, we sent back and forth a few times. Um, now I'm curious to look her up, see if she's on Facebook or something. She's like this she bold. probably wouldn't even remember. This bold American, he was the only one who would even <laughs> talk to me. He took me to see this this iconic movie, Batman, that I never would have had the chance to see in, in, in my home country or not for a long time. It, I mean, I, I just, I wonder how she looks back on it herself. I've never given that a single thought. See, you're, you're so much deeper than I am. I've never really considered her end of the story. It's, and if she has any memory of it at all, much less a fond one, you know? It's probably just ego. Like, I think about it, if it were me, I'd be like, how does she remember me? Like, what? <laughs> Well, I've got a much bigger ego than you. I would think I would have had that thought first, you know. <laughs> so at the time, obviously, you you know, you had other things on your mind, clearly, as, as you're heading into this movie. But what since the Adam West show was the, the main on screen version that you had in your head? I mean, what sort of expectations did you have going into Batman 89? Not many. I mean, again, this was pre-internet. So you couldn't go on and, and watch the trailer over and over or read advanced reviews or opinion pieces. It was, and I was, like I said, a junior or senior in high school at that point. And I was very much into my, my rock and roll phase. The, you know, sorry, mom and dad, if you're losing smoke and pot and, uh, you know, drinking in the woods after school with everybody. And so my, my recollections of that entire piece of my life are a bit fuzzy because I think I maintained a fairly low level buzz for most of my uh, waking hours, but going into it, I just remember being excited and uh, yeah, I had no, no real expectations. Try to think Tim Burton before that, maybe the only thing I had seen No, this was pre Edward Scissorhands. I don't know. I didn't really even do the research, but yeah, no expectations. Just, I'm taking the cute girl to a movie and I love Batman and here's hoping it's a good movie. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that prejudges anything. People always ask, especially at the comic shop, you know, they drop a trailer for Thor, Love and Thunder. What do you think of the movie? I'm like, it's not out yet. I can tell you what I think of the trailer, but again, trailers, especially the Marvel ones these days can be so damn misleading the way they edit things out and add, you know, there's stuff in the trailer that never even makes it to the final cut of the movie. So I try not to judge anything until I actually experience it. So all the way back then, 
probably being a little bit drunk, a little bit high and a little bit nervous for having a, the, the, <laughs> the date with me. Um, just was looking forward to going and, and, and seeing Batman and, and Michael Keaton. I liked Michael Keaton. I remember there was a big uproar <laughs> because like, oh, he's a comedic actor, Mr. Mom, you know, night shift or whatever. But uh, I always adored him. So I, I really thought he was going to do a great job in which he did, you know. I know it's crazy. I, I've certainly read about that the the letter writing campaign that fans engaged in to protest the casting, the you know the pre internet version of what you see now, and we continue to see this, and we often see it, particularly when it comes to Batman movies. I mean, I Heath remember Ledger. it vividly with Heath Ledger, and I remember yeah. it with Affleck. See, I was on board with Affleck. Heath Ledger, I didn't care because I didn't know enough of his work right. to be like, oh, not that guy. So I just said, that's cool. Let's see what happens. Um, but Affleck, I was, I was looking forward to that. I was like, that makes sense. I could see that. You know, and I thought he did a great job, more so in BVS than all the Justice League you know, reshoots and things where he just looked tired. He just looked like he just contractually obligated to do this shit. Like, yeah, I don't think his heart was in it as much. No, he's admitted as much. Yeah. So... So you come out of the movie, obviously, you know, you're still in this romantic scenario. You're thinking about the, the <laughs> drop off, what move you're, I mean, I know there's other stuff swirling around, but <laughs> I, you were, were you happy with the movie? Were you, I was. were you like, Hey, that was pretty good. Or were you were like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. Like where, where were you on that spectrum? As far as you can I, remember. I, as far as I can, yeah, see, that's the, the qualifier. As far as I can remember, um, I really enjoyed it. It didn't change my life. It wasn't like when I was five years old, walking out of the theater, having seen Star Wars, when I was just like, what the hell was that? And how quickly can we turn back and go see it again? But I honestly don't even recall if I saw that the Batman um, in the theater more than once. I'm sure I went at least twice. But uh, again, my life was consumed at that point with parties and rock and roll and you know, running around like a maniac. Um, which was still a thing up until just a handful of years ago. <laughs> so I finally, finally just calmed the hell down. I don't know. So, I was going to say, wait, this stopped? <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, it decreased exponentially. <laughs> and then in the years since, uh, you know, we're now we're over 30 years out from this movie. How often have you revisited it? Is it something you'll pop on every year, every few years, if you just happen to catch it on TV? Like, how often will you watch this? It's, it's definite comfort food, um, especially at the shop. If I just need something on in the background, you know, now that I have the um, HBO Max, it's got everything on there. So, uh, and then if I'm feeling particularly um, evil, I'll put on Batman and Robin. Just so when customers come in, they look up at the TV and go, really? Why, dude? <laughs> go, Why not? Because sometimes it is more fun to have a bad movie playing at the shop. It generates more fun conversation instead of everybody just standing around going, this is great. Look, oh, this part's great. I love this part. It's, it's almost more fun to put on the crappy flicks. Yeah. But uh, I, I come back to it often, uh, especially now that it's so accessible. I don't have to go and physically put a DVD into the player. It's, it's right there on HBO Max. And just. But that's the same with all the Star Wars stuff on Disney+. Plus. It's right there. And it's something I could put on, and I don't feel compelled to turn around and stare at the TV while I'm trying to get work done. But even just hearing it, hearing uh, with Batman, hearing the Danny Elfman score and all that and bits of the dialogue and those iconic lines, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably put that movie on at least once a month at the shop. Oh, nice. So, okay, so our experience is very different. And I, so this first part, I don't say to make you feel old at all. So when this movie came out, I was two. 
<laughs> so I did not. Obviously, uh, whatever. <laughs> I, certainly I didn't see it in theaters. It's funny, and I'll talk about this more next time, I guess, but I definitely have a more vivid memory of Batman Return, of watching Batman Returns as a kid. And I remember playing the video game for Super Nintendo a few years later. I remember the Happy Meal toys. Like I just remember more about Batman Returns. And obviously that was 92, so I was five at that point. But even then, and I have to think about this before I do my next recording, I, I don't think I saw Returns in the theater. Maybe? It's possible, but I feel like more likely I watched it on home video. And certainly that was how I saw the first Batman movie. But I mean, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've watched the 1989 Batman movie. I remember a few years ago, Steph and I sat down to watch it, you know, because she hadn't seen it in a long time either. And I'll be honest, I found it kind of slow and really wasn't holding my interest. (laughs) And I think that part of the problem was that I went into it the way I feel like a lot of fans go into things. You know, I have this certain vision of Batman or what a Batman movie is in my head. And this wasn't quite lining up to it. And I wasn't engaged by it. But when I came to it now for this rewatch, I mean, I'm happy to say rewatching it just two nights ago is the most I've enjoyed it. And I come away from it now totally understanding why it resonated with so many people. And and again, I, I really enjoyed it because I was able to sort of separate, like I said, with that certain ideal template of a Batman movie is, you know, in my head and just appreciate what this did and what it was able to accomplish and and what it was in its own right. So I've gotten a lot out of this, you know, coming back to it now. And I'm glad because that's always the goal with this stuff. Thanks for checking out the preview. To listen to the entire episode, be sure to head on over to patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato and sign up. Bonus podcasts, including Digging for Justice, are available beginning at the $1 level, and we also have discounted annual memberships available too. Your support enables me to produce this show. Thank you very, very much. And now, as we always say, it's about what you do. It's about action.